life is not happening to us, but it's happening for us. Sometimes life will continue to give us the same tests over and over and over again until we pass the lesson and then we graduate to newer and bigger challenges. There's a lot of challenge in being honest with yourself. I didn't want to position myself in this corner where I was like, oh, poor me, if I have a kid and I'm young and I'm trying to do all these things. I looked at it from a different perspective. As soon as I started taking responsibility for these things, it became extremely freeing. At that point, I shifted my perspective from the idea of trying to accomplish something to more focusing on who do I need to become in order to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish. That made it easier to continue to do the right choices and to build on that character. It becomes easier and easier and easier to make the right choices over time when that's who you are. That's the voice of my colleague and friend, Jameson Jones. His is a story of evolution through concepts like self-reflection, taking responsibility, vision casting, and compounding character. Jameson's trajectory as a youth might not have led him to the life he has today, but through several transformational experiences, he developed the ability to be honest with himself and the discernment to make better decisions in his life. And this has all led him to an amazing place where he is now the kind of person that many others aspire to be like. He has an amazing personal life and he's truly one of the most exceptional leaders I've ever met. His evolution can be an inspiration for anyone to follow. I'm very proud to introduce to you all today, Cutco Vector's NorCal Division Manager, Jameson Jones. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am extra excited about today's guest, Mr. Jameson Jones. I do get to work very closely with Jameson on a regular basis, and so this is really awesome for me to have this opportunity to get together with him in this setting. Jameson has been in the Cutco Vector business since 2003. He became a district manager in 2008, elevated himself to become the number one district manager in the company in 2014. He took over the helm of the NorCal division at that point, headquartered in Sacramento, and uh, he has been running NorCal for the last uh, six years and has helped NorCal to become one of the top 
organizations in the company on a consistent basis under his guidance. Jameson has produced over $30 million in Cutco sales. He's done this all while being married and having four children. And he is not just a great leader, but what I found in working with Jameson on a regular basis is he is truly one of the most outstanding, exceptional leaders that I've ever had a chance to work with. We have a lot of great stuff in store for you today. Jameson Jones, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Dan. All right. Welcome. And let's start out by hearing about your life before Cutco. Tell uh, us a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I was born in Stockton, California, which is a, a small, I guess not too small, but it's in the Central Valley, California, about two hours east of San Francisco. So I was born and raised there. When I was about five, I relocated my family. We bought a, a piece of property out in Valley Springs, which is about another 45 minutes east. Really, really small area, like 20,000 people. And then unfortunately, right around then, my dad passed away shortly thereafter. So we relocated back to Stockton to be closer to family. So growing up, I, you know, it was me, my mom, and my sister. And occasionally we live with other family members. So I remember, you know, like sharing a room with my cousins and uh, growing up like that. And then, um, yeah, I ended up going through, you know, elementary school into high school and uh, even did a little bit of community college in, uh, in Stockton before uh, the first time I moved out of the area was to run my, my Cutco branch. Yeah. And, and Stockton, for context for everybody who's not from California, much of it is sort of known as being kind of rough, right? Yeah. I mean, it's known for a few different things, right? There's a lot of agriculture, but unfortunately, one of the, uh, one of the reputations is that it's won awards for being America's most miserable city. It's won that award a couple of times, but it's not as bad as I think a lot of people make it out to be. There's actually a lot of really good pockets, a lot of really good people. And, uh, and yeah, so it was a good place for, for me to grow up. I really I appreciated what I learned there. That's cool. So how did you end up getting started with Cutco? So I actually had a buddy that I grew up with. We went to elementary school together and we played Little League Baseball together. And he ended up doing a, a Cutco presentation for my mom. I hadn't seen him in a while. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm in there watching him do the presentation for my mom. And he cuts the penny and my mom, you know, she freaks out. She's like, oh my God, Mijo, did you see that? And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, long story short, my mom ends up buying some stuff and... Uh, my buddy Nick had a 10K fast start. So he was already making 30% by the time he showed my mom. And I was, uh, you know, kind of pressing him to find out how much he made. And he made a little over, uh, close to about 100 bucks on that one sale to my mom. And I was like, man, that's way better than what, what I was making at my last job. You know, <laughs> how do I get signed up for this? So, you know, obviously I went in for the interview process uh, and, and ended up, you know, selling some Cutco. Yeah. And your original manager was Vincent Cepeda, right? Yeah, Vince Cepeda, still a really, really good friend of mine. You know, we were playing pool just the other day, and uh, his his wife Magali, uh, really good close friends with you know our family, and actually our our boys, uh, so our, both of our sons, they're both uh, five years old. They're about ten days apart, and we've lived three blocks away from each other their whole life. They're like brothers. They're like really, really close. So it's kind of kind of cool how how close we we stayed, you know, together, even though he was only my manager for about a month. <laughs> yeah. And, and Magali yeah. to this day is a major contributor to the company and in, in uh, helping with a lot of our recruiting processes. So yeah, it's pretty absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Neat. So what do you feel like were some of the early lessons you learned from your experiences? When it comes to selling Cutco, I would say 
the first thing is is uh, learning work ethic, like you know, sticking to something and and learning how to work hard. I think I also learned the importance that uh, sales is a skill. It's not necessarily a talent. I think sometimes people get the misconception that you, you know you're you're a born salesperson. You either got it or you don't. And I I um I would disagree with that. I think that it's something that if you put in the effort and the energy that you can learn it and, and get better at it. I think a couple of other other things that I, I learned a lot about was the idea of surrounding yourself with the right people. I, I really appreciated some of the people I had an opportunity to, to become close with when I was a newer sales rep. And I found that when you're around a certain group of people, you naturally rub off on each other. So there was that. There was... Um, Let's see here. I would also say another big one that that probably helped me out a lot was this idea of investing and saving money. I remember when I was a newer sales rep, I was probably about three months into the business and I I had a good sales week. I ended up getting like a $1,200 paycheck and I was so pumped. I'd never gotten a comma check in my life. And I immediately went and bought a stereo system for my, my old... 1985 Ford Bronco, like just had no business putting anything in this vehicle. And, um, and I thought it was so cool. And I remember showing it off at the team meeting and, um, my manager at the time, Anthony, he, you know, he pulled me aside and he's like, how much you spend on that? And I was like, oh, it's like almost a thousand bucks. You know, it's real cool. And everybody thought it was cool. And Anthony's like, you're an idiot. (laughs) 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 And, uh, and then he, he actually pulled up a calculator, the calculator, it's so on vector connect. He pulled up the compound interest calculator. He's like, look what you could have done with that thousand bucks. And I was like, that's probably a lot better than some speakers in my old truck that, Ended up breaking down a couple months later. So, so, so the compound wow. interest thing that that was a good lesson. Yeah, those were some good things you shared right there. Just uh, right out of the gate, the idea that uh, sales is a skill. I think that's an important concept for everybody to embrace. I've always told people that succeeding at Cutco does not require any sort of physical ability. Uh, it doesn't matter what how you know how tall you are or how big you are or anything like that, how strong you are. It's all about what you learn and then what you actually implement. And I think that applies to most things. And you know to realize that uh, it, most uh, areas that we want to succeed in are within our grasp through the process of learning and personal growth. So to yeah. me, that stood out right out of the gate. And, and of course, the people that we surround ourselves with is a big part. Uh, of that uh, as well. So that was good stuff for sure. So Anthony Pimentel was your division manager during that time? Yeah. So he essentially became my district manager after about five or six weeks of me selling Cutco. So it was pretty early in my career. And he was my manager. He was my district manager. Uh, He was my division manager when I first became a district manager. So yeah, I worked with him pretty closely for about 10 years. He was probably one of my number one influencers in my life. Great. Yeah. What else would you say were some of the key experiences you had or lessons that came out of your early days in Cutco? You know, I think another thing that comes to mind is this idea of assuming responsibility for our results. And I remember hearing in a conference, there was a statement, I believe it's a quote by Winston Churchill and it's this idea that the the price of greatness is responsibility and i learned that 
if I were to do some reflection and, and take responsibility for the results that I'm getting, that I would have the ability to influence them or impact them. So if there was a desired outcome that I wasn't achieving, instead of blaming circumstance or things around me, I had the ability to assume responsibility and focus on what I could control. And then that allowed me to make progression towards what I actually wanted. And then just one last lesson that that really sticks out to me is that I learned early on the value of getting paid or compensated based off of your value versus your time. And you know, I, prior to working with Vector, I worked at uh, Kaiser Permanente and I got paid really well, like uh, considering where the minimum wage was, this was a while ago, you know, but I was making a couple bucks more than minimum wage. And when it came to selling Cutco, I knew that I could put in the effort and then get compensated based off of the value I was producing. So I really felt great about the idea of improving myself and self-development and improving my skill set because I knew that that was going to reward me. Yeah, that that ties in well with the idea of taking responsibility. You know, when we feel like we're compensated based on just showing up in time, we feel a lot less in control over our own destiny, over our own future. Uh, but when you realize that through becoming more valuable, we can earn more because you know we're bringing more value to the marketplace. We can earn more. That gives us that incentive to get really good at what we do. I think that's right. a great thing Vector teaches people because in Vector, virtually everyone is paid based on a, a commission-based pay program. It's based on the value you bring. And therefore, there's that direct incentive to get really good at what we do and be able to, in the same amount of time, we can double our results and we can double our income. And that's something that's you know really within our reach here in Vector. I think there's also an element of just learning the importance of doing the right thing and how when you do the right thing, it's naturally going to create the the right outcome. And sometimes, you know, choosing to do the right thing is not always the easiest thing, but I've learned that if you put yourself in a position to choose to do the right thing as frequent as possible, good things will continue to happen and it also adjusts the way that you view yourself and the way that other people view you as well. Yeah, this aspect of success is certainly one of the key things that we could talk about. And I know you and I have discussed this and that it's something that you feel like has evolved in you, you know, from where you were as a kid to your, you know, early stages of your vector career to where you are now as, you know, as I've as I've referenced a really exceptional leader. What can you tell us about this area for you? This, I, I guess we can call this character. Uh, what can you tell us about the evolution of your own character and you know where you were before Cutco, for example? Yeah, so you know, growing up after after my father passed, I think there was this part of me that wanted to be accepted uh, in a lot of different environments. You know, like in baseball and like t-ball. You know, like as I was growing older, I noticed that I was one of the kids that didn't have a, a dad. And I did have my grandpa. And my grandpa was a, a really great guy, real old school, fought in World War II. Everybody really respected him and liked him. And he he had a tendency of displaying strong character where it's like you do the right thing, you treat people well, and you don't do the right thing just because it, you know, you want to get the rewards of it, but you do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And that was great to, to model. But then as I, as I aged, I wanted to be accepted in my, my peer group and my community. And unfortunately, 
where I wanted to be accepted wasn't really with the best best crowd, you could say. You know, so growing up through high school, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I was a bad kid, but I would also say that I wasn't a good kid. And there were times where we would almost go out like looking for trouble or finding ways to, you know, to to just kind of like ride the boundary line between right and wrong. And, you know, we would put ourselves in these positions that would probably, like, as I reflect on them, not be the best positions to be in. You did a lot of partying through high school and just stuff like that. Yeah. And and where did this lead you as you, you know, moved uh, out of being a, a kid and into being an adult? Well, I mean, naturally, when you surround yourself with a certain type of people, you start to become like those people. I think that we're naturally a product of our environment. And that includes the groups of people that we spend our time with. And I I love the guys that I I was able to grow up with. And I think that we've all learned and, and grown from grown up from when we were. But, you know, when it's cool to do the wrong thing, you know, you want to remain cool. So you just try to up that a little bit and it sets you on a really scary and not great trajectory. So what was the turning point for you? So I think probably the biggest turning point for me was when I found out that I was going to be a father. So I remember getting the phone call and I was, I was 20 years old and I was uh, at spring break and uh, I got the phone call finding out that I was going to be a dad, you know, and as a 20 year old, I was thinking to myself, man, like I'm, I'm a kid myself. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to be a dad? But it's, it's interesting because based on the way that I grew up, I always wanted to be a father. It was always something that was so important to me. And I, I really wanted to experience that relationship. And I've, I've realized that life will sometimes give us exactly what we want, but sometimes it's not packaged the way that we expect it to to be or the way that we would like it to be. And in that moment, as I was, maybe not in that first moment, but as that moment unfolded and I started really reflecting on things, I realized that this is what I wanted out of my life and I needed to, you know, to make some shifts in my behavior and the way that I did things to to be a better father or to be ready to be a father. Yeah. What a, a really like, amazing experience to have at 20 years old to be confronted with a situation like that. And I guess I use the word amazing a little bit uh, too loosely here, <laughs> but uh, difficult, challenging, you know, a lot of other words could be used to describe going through this at 20 years old. And you had just started in Vector maybe one or two years before this point. Yeah, I, w- I was actually just getting ready to open my branch office. So I found out about a month and a half before my branch and Chloe was due after the the summer. So I still pursued my opportunity to go run the branch and then came back. And But yeah, I, I was only working with the company for about two and a half to three years. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do because I knew that in order for me to be the father that I wanted to be. And by the time Chloe was born, we had joint custody and it was back and forth with Chloe. And I wanted to be fully engaged and fully present for, for Chloe as she was, you know, as she was little and all the way through her life. And I wanted something that was going to allow me to have the flexibility in my schedule to be able to be present when I needed to be, and then be able to work when I, I, I guess the right word would be like when I could. So yeah, I think that that's kind of what comes to mind is as things were starting to unfold in the beginning there. 
And yeah. I found that the district manager role was was the vehicle that ended up being the vehicle that fit the best for that situation. That's great. Uh, I, I really appreciate you sharing some of these insights into the evolution of Jameson Jones and just how your character has evolved. I think that anybody who's working with you today sees you as like a pillar of integrity, you know, truly exceptional leadership. And to hear where this, where you kind of came from, I think it's, it's really a, a lesson in people in the concept of just evolution, right? That anyone can evolve from where they are now into who they want to become. And having had kind of a front row seat to see this happen for you over the last you know, uh, 17 years here in Vector has been really cool for me to be able to see. I'd like to unpack this a little bit more because I do think that a lot of people could learn things from your example. So the birth of Chloe was a real turning point for you. You ran a branch, you did well, you decided you were going to become a district manager. Over the next few years after that, I think there was a dramatic evolution in, you know, who you have become. Tell us a little bit about how you feel your character and your leadership evolved as you advanced into management with Vector. So in the beginning of being uh, a father and a, a single father in the very beginning, right? I was a single father and learning how to juggle all that. It was a really challenging situation. And one of my favorite movies is The Pursuit of Happiness. So I don't know if you've ever seen that movie where it's like... Of course. Right. So in, the, in that movie, there's a scene where Will Smith is talking about how, like, in order for me to get this stuff done, I got to do this, this and this by this time. Everybody else gets this much and I got to do it in this time. And I, I learned to be more efficient. But another thing that I learned in that process is that this challenge that I was experiencing was only going to make me better in the long run. Hmm. And I think our perception of challenge really does influence how we will respond and where we cho choose to go after that. So as opposed to looking at all the reasons why I wouldn't be able to succeed, I used it as an opportunity to, to say, well, why would this make me even better? Or how could you know, doing both of these things serve each other? And they have, you know, being a father has made me a better district manager and being a district manager and running a business and, you know, having people that I mentor has allowed me to be a better father. And those two things played a role in each other. And so just the shift in perception or perspective on challenge itself and how we decide to move forward was probably the first part of that. And then the second thing would allude to more of a, a process of self-reflection and really, really taking ownership of the outcomes. And I found that whenever there's a sense of being a victim, that's very difficult to stay in the same space as somebody who's going to be proactive and go seek out solutions. And I didn't want to position myself in this corner where, where I was like, oh, poor me, you know, I have a, a kid and I'm young and I'm trying to do all these things. And I, I looked at it from a different perspective and I had these, you know, goals that I, I wanted to accomplish within Vector. I wanted to be a top performer. I wanted to win a silver cup. I wanted to, you know, break records. I wanted to do those things that I think a lot of people in Vector that have a competitive spirit naturally want to do. And it started with that that shift in the way that I looked at challenge. Mm. Mm. I, that's a really important point that 
I think everyone needs to hear because we all have challenges that we experience in our life and not all of them are as difficult as somebody else's, but, uh, you know, we all have our own challenges. And if we view them with the victim mentality, it's a whole different way of looking at the world than if we view them with the lens of what are the gifts here? What are the opportunities here? Right. In, in retrospect, of course, having a child when you're 20 or 21 is really hard. In retrospect, having Chloe in your life probably increased your motivation, increased your inspiration, caused your work ethic to evolve and develop in a different way, gave you more of that this sense of balance. And like, there's so many good things that came out of that that helped you evolve at a younger age than others might have evolved at, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's almost like taking the idea of life is not happening to us, but it's happening for us and seeking out the lessons that we're trying to learn. And the irony in all of that is that sometimes life will continue to give us the same tests over and over and over again until we pass the lesson, and then we graduate to newer and bigger challenges. And that was another thing that I noticed is that throughout my career in Vector, I used to have this, when this occurs, then I will be. And I thought to myself, well, once my office does over a half a million dollars in sales, then I'll be this manager. This is how it will be perceived. Or, you know, once I achieve this goal, then I'll be. And I realized that that destination mindset had become so fleeting and disappointing because once it was achieved, there was like, oh, there's always something more to pursue. So at that point, I shifted my perspective from the idea of trying to accomplish something to more focusing on who do I need to become in order to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish, but be satisfied with the character and the person that I've developed into. So that's another element of the last, I would say, five to 10 years that have really made the biggest impact on my career is just to shift this idea of instead of accomplishing, becoming somebody capable of and pursuing the best version of myself. Mm, that That's really profound to think about, the distinction between focusing on what it is that you want in your life versus focusing on who do you want to become in your life so that you'll be able to get more of those things that you want. Right. How did that focus manifest in your life? Like, What were some of the things you did to be able to grow yourself during these years. Yes, so to extend on the you know self-reflection, there's a lot of challenge in being honest with yourself. And I noticed that in the beginning of seeing that I had some character flaws and seeing that I had some habits that weren't serving me well, there was a lot of resistance. And it was almost like I was not taking responsibility, that I was blaming some circumstance. And I realized as soon as I did take responsibility and say, well, these are, these are my choices. I've made these choices and now I have to do, you know, I have to follow the course. And I realized that as soon as I started taking responsibility for these things, it became extremely freeing. Because instead of having this resistance to say like, oh, I don't know if I can, or I don't know if I want to, or you know, I'm only doing that because of this and, and blaming these outside variables, taking ownership just eliminated any outward 
concern or it almost put blinders on me to say like, I just want to stay the path on becoming the best version of myself. And then that made it easier to continue to do the right choices and to, to build on that character where uh, you make these choices where in the beginning it feels, I guess you could say unnatural or not as easy, but it becomes easier and easier and easier to make the right choices over time when that's who you are. Mm, great insight. How do you notice it when someone is not taking ownership? Like, what does that look like? How does it manifest for someone when they're in that phase of just blaming circumstances and not taking ownership? And then what advice do you give people for breaking out of that? Yeah, I think you just said one of the common identifiers is just like the blame. It's the the refusal to accept where they're at. And I think it was Hal Elrod. I used to coach with Hal and Hal mentioned before, as soon as we take responsibility for everything, we have the ability to influence everything. And although something might not be your fault, it may still be your responsibility to make it better. And when people take the time to recognize everything going on around them and the things that they want to accomplish and the person that they want to become, and they take ownership of that, it just becomes easier because they just move forward. So the first thing that that I would recognize is this idea of not taking ownership or responsibility for it. The advice that I would give people is taking some time to do some self-reflection. One habit that that I've developed working here with Vector over the last decade or so is journaling and doing that consistently and reflecting on those things. I think also planning and goal setting, knowing where you want to go and the and having a vision for not just your business or what you want to accomplish, but how you want your life to be. You're painting this picture of the type of person that you want to be and the things that you want to experience, not just have. Mm. Yeah, that mere exercise of just vision casting for your future gives people a whole lot more of a feeling of being in control of their destiny. Yeah. You know, crafting it. Now, during these years, you also you met Kristen, uh, who's now your wife. And I assume that she has had a large role in your development during this time as well. Could you speak to the the power of her impact in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I would not be the person that I am today without Kristen. And Kristen is one of those people that's extremely selfless. She's got uh, a tenacity and uh, this element of grit where she's going to see things through. She's going to get them done, but she does it with so much grace and she makes it look so effortless and everybody loves her and, and she's just so great to be around. But she's definitely the person that I feel so great about having in my corner uh, because it does make all of the the challenges that may present themselves so much easier to know that there's somebody like that in my corner. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Knowing her, I, I appreciate hearing that stuff. And you know, you definitely married up, as they say. I totally did. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I did. Nice. So throughout these years, you you developed as a real pillar leader in the Western region. You had a couple of breakthroughs along the way. 2014 was a huge breakthrough for you, and you ended up becoming the division manager of NorCal. What can you tell us about taking these steps in your career? So the first thing, the first real big step in my career, even though 2014 is the year that you referenced, it was 2012 that really made the the big shift in my 
trajectory as a manager. And in 2012, that was a year of a lot of self-reflection and recognizing and being honest with myself and seeing some of the things that I was doing well, but also a lot of the other things that I wasn't doing well. And going into the summer of 2012, I made a commitment to myself that I I was just no longer going to be somebody who cut corners. Uh, I wasn't going to do things minimally. I wasn't going to just do them to get them done. I wanted to, to do them to the best of my ability. And in doing so, we had an, a great sales summer. I believe we were number one or number two in the in the region in new business for, for that year. And then we also had this great pool of development. We had 13 assistant managers at the end of the summer. And then that team propelled us into an even bigger year the following year. Uh, over 900 grand for the year. And then that following year, the 2014 was the year where everything kind of came together. Mm-hmm. But it was, a, it was a decision that compounded on itself and it attracted other people who also wanted to have that type of, of uh, support that wanted to become better versions of themselves and had these goals in mind. And they knew that the office was just the vehicle that was getting people to where they wanted to go. And it was just the platform of of learning and developing and creating great connections. Yeah, it, it was great to see that you know those breakthroughs happen for you and uh, for you to be able to take on the responsibility of uh, of NorCal. You know, after being the number one DM in the company, and you've you, you've just continued to elevate your your game as a leader. It seems to me, ever since then, what do you feel like are some characteristics or phrases or words that sum up your leadership? I would say servant leadership is probably one big thing. There's a lot of people in my organization that are extremely talented, and there are probably things that I wouldn't be able to teach them. But for people that are in that position, I do try to support them in the best way that I can. And Another thing that I try to do is I try to live in alignment with the person that I think would be the best version of myself and try to set an example of of what would be good for either them to follow or for even my kids to to follow into. Those are probably the two biggest things that I that I would say that identify my leadership and just in my career I would say one of the things I'm most proud of is that we've experienced growth almost every single year in the last 17 years. And just this focus on can we get incrementally better and just continue to compound and build on top of that. It's that Japanese word kaizen, just that small incremental improvement, just building over and over and over again. And it makes makes things really move in the right direction. Yeah. What are the ways that you are working with your people to help them with the development with their own development, starting with the development of their character, as we've talked about with you, and of course, uh, with skills and everything else that helps enable them to do well. Yeah, with our with our leadership academy, and you know, when I reflected on my career, I, I recognized that most of the success patterns started by adjusting and developing better habits, and looking at the things that serve us well, and looking at the things that actually support the growth that we want to achieve. And I encourage people to identify some of the habits that maybe either be hindering them or that are already helping them succeed. And then making sure that they're focusing on developing the right habits. And one of the ways that we do that is we have a lot of 40-day challenges where we'll do, you know, 40 days of 
can you stay consistent with 40 days of you know drinking a gallon of water or you know exercising for 40 days in a row or some sort of diet or you know can you make your 5 to 10 phone calls no matter what every single day for 40 days in a row and those challenges just make it easier for people to to kind of break out into that next step yeah i like that that's really a cool concept that people can can uh, take and implement is identifying, you know, what is a key area that we're all going to grow in together. And then, you know, having these 40 day challenges and just helping people with establishing their own personal habits, uh, that are going to lead them towards greater success. And of course, learning how to manage themselves better through that process. So right. cool stuff, cool stuff. Any other cool stuff that you're uh, doing with your division that you think, uh, would be cool for people to hear? Oh, you know, I think our events team is great. You know, they're really, they're really hungry. They got a lot of different events and they're very solution oriented. You know, with everything going on with COVID, there's, there's definitely parts of our business that have slowed down, but I just love that our team has decided to not just focus on the resources, but become resourceful and they found solutions. So I think that's one thing. Another thing that I've done with some people that I'm close with is like the word of the year. So we have these like bracelets and it has a word that you get to engrave on there. And I got the, like the little kit so you can, you can do it yourself. And like the word that I, I chose for this year was discernment, which essentially means to just judge well, to make good decisions. And having that on my wrist all year, it served as an opportunity to just kind of look at it and reflect and say like, am I making the decisions that the best version of myself would be making? And then just trying to stay in alignment with that. So that's those are a couple of things that we do that are a little different, but still kind of fun and, and keep us keep us going. Yeah, I love that word that you used, discernment. And when you think about how that sums up your career and your life, right? You went through a stage of your life where your discernment may not have been very good. No. Right? And you allowed <laughs> yourself to make a lot of bad decisions from time to time. But you became aware of them, right? Discernment started to become a part of you, and you began to become aware of those things. You talked about self-reflection becoming a part of how you operated, and that led you to a lot better decisions. And those better decisions caused your career to start really taking off. And in the meantime, you had the added responsibilities of, of family, and this sort of compounded into even better decision-making and more discernment in your life, and it led you to a great place. It's kind of a cool evolution that, uh, that has happened for you. Yeah. How do you feel like all these concepts we've talked about carry over to your own family and your role as a father today? So I found that with parenting, there's no playbook that's going to be a hundred percent on point. And I've also learned that in good times and in bad, the kids are going to learn more from what you do versus what you say. So modeling good behavior and being this person who shows my family the right way to show up, or at least what I would, I would perceive to be the right way to show up in different situations and circumstance, I think that's the first way. And then I also teach my kids uh, the importance of just giving back in the right ways, you know, being kind, being supportive. I coach a couple of soccer teams here in the area for the, the different kids, and, and I like to give back my time, but also, you know, provide a positive impact on other, other people in the community. That's awesome to hear. What are you most excited about as you look into the future, five, 10 years? Yeah. Uh, well, I hope that I still get to coach soccer. That's, that's one of my favorite things to do right now. So speaking of that, so coaching soccer is really fun. You know, in five years, 
my oldest is going to be 18. So (laughs) (laughs) I hope she still likes me. No, (laughs) Uh, but no, I want to continue to be a great father and a great impact on my, uh, and my family. But as far as the division and the, as, and the business goes, you know, I obviously would love to see it continue to experience growth year after year. And, you know, it looks like we're going to have another year of growth. At least we're pacing for that, which I'm, I'm really proud of. And then also, I've just felt really motivated to to help other fathers, you know, to kind of give back and to offer some coaching and guidance to other fathers in my community and and be able to give them some insights on how they could show up well for their families too. Yeah, you're you're doing some mentoring of young fathers in your community. Yeah, I, I've uh, I've been starting to to kind of coach and talk to a few guys and just give them some some feedback and some insights on ways that they could show up better for their their family. And most of these these people that I chat with are. Uh, also entrepreneurial minded type guys. So I know that one of the challenges I had early in my career was learning how to juggle it all. And I just wish that I had some sort of mentor or somebody that could provide just a few ideas or insights on how to bring it all together. So yeah, that's so cool to hear. Jameson, when I look at my life, I've been very fortunate to have had some great mentors and great examples in my life. And I think one of the greatest compliments you could pay to someone is that you want to be like them. And for me, I look, for example, at Bruce Goodman, you know, who we both get a chance to work with here in Vector. And he's always been somebody I've wanted to be like. There's so many facets to that that we could talk about, but I would simplify it and just say that he's been a great example to me. I think that anyone growing up in your organization looks at you in this same manner right now. You have a great family life from, you know, the the appearances that we all see. It's a, I'm sure there's, you know, little <laughs> bumps in the road like we all have, but you have a great family life, great relationships. You have a thriving business that continues to grow year after year. You have great respect from your peers in the organization. You have this great friend group that I know about all around the Sacramento area of, you know, people that you hang out with and spend time with and are close to both Cutco people and from, you know, before, uh, outside of Cutco. And it's just this great package of life that you have. And it's so cool to see how you have evolved. I think, as I said earlier, it's inspirational and motivational for people to hear where you came from and, you know, how things in your life have compounded into this great state of being that you have now. Uh, It's just, uh, you're a great inspiration to a lot of people. And I'm very proud to be able to work directly with you, Jameson. I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you for the compliment. I I really do appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate having you on the podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your stories and your lessons today. Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We'll see you. All right. Jameson Jones. I think you can all see why I am so proud and grateful to be able to work directly with that guy. I really appreciate his transparency and sharing some of the aspects of his own personal evolution. He talked about how sales is a skill and really virtually everything that we want to develop in our life is a skill which can be learned. It is in our grasp to learn and develop it whether it is a skill of being able to influence others, a skill of being able to be great at leadership, or a skill having to do with a personal characteristic like character. Character evolves and develops. It can be viewed as a skill. Jameson leveraged the power of self-reflection 
And in particular, the distinction between what did he want to achieve in life versus who did he need to become in order to put himself in position to achieve what he wanted in life. He really talked about the idea of assuming responsibility for where you are in your life. For a lot of people, that word responsibility can be heavy. And so I can offer you another word that I've learned, which is the word complicity. So being complicit versus being responsible. A lot of times people feel like being responsible means it's your fault if you're not in a good place or you're not succeeding. It's your fault. You did something wrong. Complicity or being complicit is a little softer way of looking at it. And it it asks the question, how have I allowed this to happen? So instead of it's your fault, you caused it, how have I allowed this to happen? How have I allowed this to happen through some bad decisions or through taking the easy path? How have I allowed something to happen? How have I been complicit in you know, having myself be in this position in my life? You might consider it that way, and maybe that might help you come to terms a little bit more with any area of your life that you do not feel happy with where you are right now or where you feel like you're wanting more. In terms of business, Jameson talked about an important idea being no cutting of corners. He stopped cutting corners, and that helped move his business in a very positive direction. And of course, it was a positive example for everyone around him. A lot of times we feel like we can cut corners, particularly when no one is watching us because we think, well, nobody's going to know. It's okay. No, you will know. You will know, and it's not okay because it erodes our self-worth. It erodes our expectations for success. It erodes our motivation and inspiration. The opposite happens when we do not cut corners and we focus on bringing our A game, our best effort to all of the things we do that increases our expectation for success, doubles our motivation and inspiration, and helps us to achieve more of the things we want. Jameson is leveraging habits for himself and for his people. He talked about the examples of the 40-day challenges. Something great that you might do here today is to consider what are some of the habits you want to establish in your life? Whose support can you utilize to help make sure you establish those habits as this year winds down and the new year begins or whenever you happen to be listening to this podcast, that you can implement new habits into your life that are going to move you in the direction that you want. If you do that, you can evolve, you can grow, you can go from whoever you are now into being an exceptional leader, an exceptional human being as Jameson Jones has done himself. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast today. Appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. I want to thank my friends at Organifi for sponsoring this podcast. Organifi is the Cutco of superfood blends. I was introduced to Organifi's green juice blend a few years ago. Organifi uses the highest quality plant-based ingredients, and it's easy to use. You just mix a couple spoonfuls with water or your favorite beverage. You don't even need a blender. For about two to three bucks per day, you can get your day started with a great-tasting, nutritious green juice containing 11 superfoods like moringa, spirulina, beets, turmeric, and other all-natural organic ingredients. You can check out Organifi's green juice along with their full line of their products at Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A. 
nifi.com. You get 15% off everything that they carry by using the discount code CLSK. Those are the initials for changing lives, selling knives. I'm excited to bring on some sponsors that sell things I believe in and would use myself and that are of Cutco quality. Try out something from Organifi today and enter CLSK when you check out to get that discount on anything you order. Again, go to Organifi.com. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 